0: Hello and welcome to Here Are the Nominees. I am Brent, joined by David. David, how are you? Hello, I'm good. How you doing? I'm doing great. You know, years from now when they uh the aliens land on this wrecked planet of ours and uh dig through the rubble and they find the server that holds all of these podcasts. You know what? It's going to seem like this one came out basically right after the last one. <laughs> i've been recording
1: consistently i just haven't seen them come up
0: i mean i'm sure there were people out there who just i mean with the state of the world just assumed the worst about us or something when we just suddenly stopped recording <laughs> 10 months ago uh but no we're we we're uh we're all healthy and good on this end how are, how are you guys
1: healthy and good everyone's uh everyone's doing well we have uh none of us have con- contracted covid yet which is almost a badge of uh Badge of honor at this point, or it's a feat, uh, Xbox achievement.
0: <laughs> yeah, neither have we. Uh, oddly enough, it's. I mean, then again, we have really embraced the the hermit lifestyle. Not so much. It partially out of we felt necessity for a while, but then I just you know, I think we just started to like it a little bit, and uh, and so, um, that's not an explanation for why we haven't been able to record though. I've. Uh, I've been on a steady diet of Sesame Street and Daniel Tiger for uh, the last six months. <laughs> so it's been a, lot, a large part <laughs> of what I've been doing. Um, Daniel Tiger is great, by the way, if you're a parent of a of a, a young toddler. So yeah, I
1: I'm keep so there's Daniel Tiger songs I keep thinking of and keep singing to to, uh, to my daughter. It's good things to remember.
0: Yeah. And, you know, for those come of you, back is a good I was one. I was just about to say, for <laughs> those of you who worried that we were never going to podcast again, grown-ups come back. And we're back! So, um, Well, if you did listen to the last episode, and you've been re-watching and rewatching and <laughs> staying fresh on Cool Hand Luke, then, boy, do we have a disappointment for you. I have still never seen Cool Hand Luke, because we just decided to uh, catch a 2022 one film that is nominated for this current oscar season instead uh so we will be taking a look at don't look up which uh still fumble over the title from time to time uh is there a movie called don't look back yep i think there's
1: another don't look up movie from 10 years ago i think it's a japanese movie or something
0: but uh yeah i say don't look up I emphasize the book. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, this is the newest movie from Adam McKay, one of the most subtle directors in uh, in Hollywood. And uh, so, uh, yeah, so we're, we're actually also uh, we talked about this. Uh, we're gonna try to streamline the review section of the podcast to try to shorten the the length of these things, and uh, which which is probably better for the listener, and it's also better for us. I think we can probably do this a little more often if we uh, aren't uh, recording for two hours. So, um, yeah. Gone are the days
1: of reading uh, the Wikipedia plot pretty yeah. much verbatim and pausing. So at this point, we're, gonna, we're gonna kind of we're going to kind of assume that you've seen the movie mm-hmm. and uh, we're no longer sponsored by Wikipedia. So they're, they're cut out of this.
0: Uh, okay. Well, let's start off with what were your expectations for don't look out or don't look <laughs> don't look up when you first <laughs> heard about this movie this is gonna be my worst title podcast since uh, the um, what's the, the, the uh, another Melanie Linsky movie that we did a podcast on several years ago the uh, I don't I don't want to live in this world anymore or something I don't
1: feel at home in this world anymore maybe is that's it like that? yeah yeah um, uh, my expectations so you- is I knew it was a uh, Adam McKay movie. I know it was uh, streaming on Netflix. On uh, it came out on Christmas Day, so I knew I would have it. I knew it was going to be part of the Oscar conversation. And being an Oscar junkie myself, it'd be uh, it'd be one to get catch an easy leg up on. Um, a lot of buzz about potential Best Picture nominee for it, and I knew that uh, you know. I have some history with Adam McKay, there's some stuff I, I love, there's some stuff that really grates on me, and uh, I'd heard, uh, you know, it's it's perfect timing, it's like a, it's like a metaphor for COVID, and uh, kind of went in um, a little against my will, it's like I don't really want to experience that in film right now, I don't know about you, but the recent COVID documentaries, recent COVID-related uh, narratives not that excited to to get back to it being in the middle of it so that was kind of my expectations is i kind of thought i was gonna have to end up watching it anyway so i think i watched it uh on boxing day the day after christmas Mm. how about yourself what did you uh what did you bring to it
0: i knew very little about this movie until really over the last few weeks i i remember it coming out and i know it was Whatever Netflix's version of trending films are, you know, their top ten or whatever. It was pop- mm-hmm. it was a frequently uh, suggested movie for me to watch on Netflix. But I thought maybe that was just due to the cast, you know, the Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, and Meryl Streep, and and so on. And I didn't know, I didn't even know this was an Adam McKay movie. I it just kind of appeared. But then again, I haven't really been following this like the approach to Oscar season wow. last year or so or, or this year, and so I, I didn't really have it on my radar in any way um once it did come out i saw some letterbox reviews uh and i typically try to stay away from the meat of the reviews but i did see some some star ratings from eh, critics and people that i generally trust that and the the ratings were not entirely enthusiastic so i just sort of brushed this off at the time uh, around christmas as uh, oh this was maybe probably trying to be an oscar contender and it's just not Um, it just, you know, one of those movies where maybe when they're making it, it's, it's, they had high hopes, but for whatever reason, it just doesn't come together. And that that was based purely on some reviews, but yet here we are and it's, it's nominated for what, four Oscars? Uh, yep. Yeah. So, um, that, those were my expectations. I guess by the time I actually sat down to watch it, um, as for Adam McKay, I had seen The Big Short and I loved The Big Short, and I had seen his movies, uh, most of his comedies before The Big Short. So I'd seen the other guys that I'd seen Anchorman, uh, Step Brothers, and I was—I'm a big fan of uh, some of those movies. I think Step Brothers is hilarious, and Anchorman is an all-time great comedy for me uh, of its type. You know, it's—it's—it's it's, it's, its own kind of flavor, but it's. Uh, i've always loved it and i at that point i was i don't know if i was necessarily optimistic but i I was a little more open to it than i think i had been before when i had seen the reviews so i don't know i gave it a shot so uh david let's start with your just kind of broad take on the movie What, what was what did you like about don't look up this might be
1: the most difficult question of the podcast. No, I mean it's it's not it's not a calamity or anything. There's a lot of one and a half star reviews that are a little hyperbolic. It's not it's not poorly made. Um a lot of the crafts I uh you know were were well done. You know, mm-hmm. decent cinematography. Um some of some of the acting's pretty good. Um uh dang i i like the um where it's not as much about the message and it's about some of the characters and character comedy um i like some of the uh characters and uh some of the actors that get to really choose some scenery or throw some adam mckay style improv out I especially thought uh, I thought Jonah Hill was in the 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 exact pitch of what this movie um, of what this movie should be for me. Um, I thought he was he was pretty funny and uh, a good I guess a good take on that kind of character. Um, I especially like his uh, his prayer he he makes near the end of the movie like you know praying to stuff like yeah sending up a prayer to sick watches cool apartments you know <laughs> want everything to work because of stuff i thought he was pretty funny um i thought leo was uh not to kind of snake into performances but uh it's, it's one of the only parts of the movie i guess i really really liked yeah but i thought leo was was pretty also pretty in the pocket in this movie he was uh fairly believable as a uh, guy going through a lot of anxiety Um, he's still you know just a shave away from being like one of the most good-looking people in the history of cinema (laughs) so him with glasses and a slightly unshaven beard you know it's it's not that far away from him being like a model or an insanely charismatic person you want to look at, yeah. But I thought he was good. I liked his uh, his panic attack he was having in the bathroom at the Daily the Daily Rip. I think that's that's the name of the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it reminded me of uh, Shades of uh, Rick Dalton in the trailer, <laughs> kind of like uh, oh, talking yeah. to himself and, and kind of punching out and trying to rip down bathroom stalls, kind of going for it. And he gets a he gets a pretty pretty good uh, final line of the movie. Yeah. Well, final line of the movie proper, I guess. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, which thinking... is what
0: we had it all. We kinda we, we really did have it all. Is that the last yeah, line?
1: The, when yeah. Th- kinda he plays low key when you think about it, we really did have it all, didn't we? You know, kinda as a statement question. You know, it's 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 pretty good. Um Yeah. I might be forgetting some of the things, but those are the main things that I that I kind of liked about the movie how about yourself yeah
0: uh, okay so yeah i think we're going to be in a similar kind of vein here i i did like most of the performances um at least i i like the actors well f- for the most part there's a glaring ex- exception to this that we'll get to later but um for the most part i think most of the cast did a fairly good job with what they were given to do i don't necessarily like all the characters especially and i don't i, I don't think they're all quite in harmony like, i feel like they're not all characters in the same movie sometimes totally but yeah. but like jonah hill like you said i don't know how well i like him in this movie but i do like that character as a ridiculous uh you know kind of absurd even more absurd version of uh donald trump jr or whoever he's kind of supposed to be mm-hmm. um i i liked um the the same performances you liked i also i i like jennifer lawrence in this movie i think that there's a that she brings um a rage to the character that i i believe and it's i, I really buy what she's doing in this movie I, I buy what jennifer lawrence is doing in this movie at least um and also i think timothy chalamet has a a very strange um sudden role in this movie that Mm -hmm. there's i don't know that there's really a point to but i actually think he handles it pretty well and uh i i I like his what he brings to the character um beyond that there's not a lot i like about this movie (laughs) um i I will say one thing that I did I, there is one joke, and it, actually there were a few jokes I think that made me laugh, but the one that really sticks out is I love the general charging them for uh, a free vending uh, food because and it's not that part that I love. It's them finding out about it and how it just sticks in her craw until her death. Like she is still thinking about why that general. Uh, charge them for something that's free in the White House. Uh, months later, like with the world about to end, Jennifer Lawrence's character is still baffled by this, and I think that's actually—I uh, I don't know—that really worked for me. That was a good joke.
1: Yeah, and 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 you're 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 uh, totally on the same page as me because the on my notes the very first point is the three-star general selling free snacks. Yeah, that, and that's kind of what I was. In the realm of things that are kind of unrelated to the great satire of the world ending, some of the smaller stuff, that's that's the thing I like the most. Mainly, mm-hmm. like her asking uh, Teddy, who's actually pretty Rob Morgan as uh, Doctor Oglethorpe, I thought is also pretty good, a guy that kind of oh, yeah. grounds yeah. of the um, um craziness. But asking him like, did he not think we were going to find out? And then with mule with later like descri- like in the middle of a story talking about it you know scene yeah. kind of cuts to it i love that it just keeps returning to it like she just cannot <laughs> she cannot get around it
0: well you know she's a scientist she's trying to make logic of something mm-hmm. and there's just no logic to this and i love that it just it drives her crazy mm-hmm. um i think it's a really it's a really funny uh joke in the movie and when they return to what three four times at least yeah yeah it's great um well you brought up the final scene in the well the not the final scene but the uh, the dinner table scene at the mm-hmm. end and did you like that scene was was that a highlight of the movie because i've seen a lot of people talk about how they i have seen some people talk about how they really like that scene but i will say that for me it's not that i dislike it i actually like what they're going for which is just when the world lets you down and it's, it's all ending just to try to appreciate that, you know, find a moment mm-hmm. of peace before it ends. And I liked that approach. It's just that I kept imagining, uh, is it tay Leone, uh, h- hugging her parents as the tidal wave hits, um, at the end of deep impact. Mm-hmm. And I just kept com- going back to that. And I was like, Oh, but that movie kind of did it better. I don't know. I feel like it, this is, it's taken a nice idea. It's just that I've kind of already seen, I feel like I've already seen that done more poignantly. And, um, and so it didn't quite hit me in the feels the way I think it did. Some people.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think I liked, I think it's a pretty good final line, but not necessarily a great final scene, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, I think the scenes kind of built around, um, and in reading some of the interviews with Adam McKay, he really does think that the that the ending is kind of a twist. It's a gut punch for people, um, but I think it's pretty pretty obvious from the beginning and the kind of movie and how it's set up. You know, or at least I think I knew really early on that the world was going to end. That was the point of this movie, and I think what that scene's trying to do is it's it's really it would be really effective if that, if you didn't see that coming and it's this great juxtaposition of the banality of talking about store-bought apple pie while this grand mm-hmm. and grand missions happening. It's the light, the final chance for earth and these people that, you know, are resigned and don't care and are just living with each other. I think, I think the inevitability kind of uh, sacks, saps the punch of it a little bit or saps the, uh, the, uh, the weight of it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Also, I, I do like Melanie Linsky, who plays uh, Leo's wife in it. Also another super grounded character there. They mm-hmm. kind of return to them a couple bit, but I think it's kind of... I think it's kind of a, a narrative cheat to kind of just pull this off. You know, all this terrible stuff happened? Yeah, okay. You know, we'll, we'll have this nice last dinner scene.
0: So maybe not earned. Yeah, I, the night. I'd
1: probably say not earned. Yeah. We know nothing about... You know, Doctor Doctor Oglethorpe's life at all. He's kind of. uh, uh,
0: I know. I was. I. I didn't quite fully understand why he was there. Like, uh, did he talk about how he didn't have family or anything? Did he not have anybody he wanted to be with?
1: Yeah, I, I don't think so. I don't think it needs necessarily. You need like a scene in that earlier, but it just didn't seem like from his character he'd be the he'd be a kind of guy to to I guess not have anybody i don't know yeah i guess it's maybe i'm asking too much but it just didn't really jive of how how believable in a crazy you know parody of disaster movies it would be for all these people to come together and all not care and all be resigned and all know this is going to fail and their last scene like there's no none of them are doing anything else seeing Loved ones, you know, misconnections, you know, going into hedonism, nihilism, other stuff. They're all just conveniently for the narrative together at the last moment. Mm -hmm. So it's a bit, it was a bit contrived for me, but I still liked some of the, the elements of it, I guess. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm either picky or I'm, uh, you know, I contradict myself sometimes, but.
0: Well, let's go into what you didn't like about this movie, um, which I think we've kind of already started in on. It's uh, it's not a it's not a great sign when we can't talk about what we liked without kind of you know uh, wading into the waters of what we didn't. But um, what did you what did you not like about Don't Look Up?
1: Um, there, Almost there, everything. Yeah, there, there's <laughs> there's a glaring thing that I think we'll talk about <clears throat> in uh, in in a little bit. Um, the big thing for me uh, was the editing. The editing I found super obnoxious, and uh, I know that's Good his word. style, yeah. and that's I think Hank Corwin's his editor. He's mm-hmm. been nominated for Adam McCall McKay multiple times, so I know that's it's his thing. But it's just a a barrage of clipped scenes, scenes ending in the middle of dialogue, you know for. For funny reasons, the three separate social media flood scenes. You know, I counted social media scene one, two, three of like <laughs> the parade of likes, YouTube reaction videos, that kind of thing. Yeah. Show things are going viral. Um, cut together with, and I re- usually really love Nicholas Bertel as a composer. He usually has like super thoughtful, really meaningful, interesting music. But he's. Yeah, the stuff's all cut together with his score that's kind of just like... I think I I wrote it down as like brassy scat music, like scat jazz, just punchy (laughs) little horns. Like, we're not taking this that seriously, kind of on-the-nose stuff, but just... It's just, after a while of this editing style, it just becomes almost punishing because the movie's so long it's two and a half hours and it feels it feels all of that to me
0: yes there was a point when uh watching with my wife we paused it uh to like go grab a drink or something and um we looked at how much was remaining and i think she said how is there possibly another hour and 20 minutes of this movie and i said (laughs) yeah it's uh it's it's this is a this, this one, feel you feel every minute of watching this movie, I feel like. it's It was rough.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a time checker. Like, you're just looking at the time or looking at the, the scroll bar for how much is left. I think mm. when Leo... I keep calling him Leo. Dr. Mindy. When Dr. Mindy goes back to Michigan, there's like a full 30 minutes left. And it's like the end of the movie. It's like, how is this possible?
0: Um... As for things I did not like, I mean, there's, there's really myriad choices to go through here, but I, uh, and I won't hit on all of them, but just in general, the tone of the movie. I, I think it, this is a movie that really, I I, I don't know what the point of this movie is mm-hmm. um, other than just Adam McKay's mad and just feels like he needs to just take it out, I guess. Um, it's there are there are there are parts of this movie that are attempting to show us what it would really look like if something like this happened, mm-hmm. and then there are others. There are other parts of this movie that are absurd to the like level of Doctor Strangelove type, you know, attempting for that level of absurd satire, and it's kind of all over the place in that respect, and. Then you've got Adam McKay's unfortunate recent signature of assuming everyone watching this movie is an idiot, and uh, kind of having to just—he doesn't let you put anything together on your own. It, it will be shown to you in a quick cut, if necessary. Um, you know, it, you, you can't be trusted to think about the uh, effects, think about everything on the world in the world that's happening, and and how this might parallel to something like climate change, you have to be shown a polar bear floating on a piece of ice because, uh, yeah, the, he, you know, he, he gives you two and two, and then he's going to show you how it makes four. Um, and that is, is a frustrating, what's becoming a hallmark of his direction, I think, in his filmmaking. And, um, We'll talk about that, I guess, a little more when we talk about other movies of his, but um, yeah, this is a movie that definitely, I I don't know who it's for, I don't know what it's for really, and um, I I really hated that. Also, I hate everything that Mark Rylance is doing in this movie, (laughs) (laughs) So, so badly, I think everything, I understand that there, the idea of um, capitalism, you know, being the the final barrier to saving ourselves. And I understand what he's going for, the or at least what McKay is going for with that character. But I just, why do they, why does every version of that stock character these days have to be somewhere on the spectrum, it seems like? Is that not like bothersome to people at this point um yeah it's it's and it's also it's it's such
1: like an outdated reference for that kind of thing like yeah. if you were being current there was there would be a different archetype for you to use for this but you're still kind of using the steve Jobs model and he's been mm-hmm. he's been deceased for like a decade yeah and yeah mark rylance uh you know i love you mark in other stuff and-
0: And he may be doing what he's instructed to do in this movie. He may have nailed his performance as what they were looking for, but that character is insufferable to me. And, like, that character just steps onto the screen, and you already know everything about that character. And it's not in a good way.
1: Yeah, there's kind of no discovery to it. And it's... there. There's a... I know satire, you're going for, like, super exaggeration, but it's it's so much hat on a hat or tick on a tick of, you know, he's got to have a funny voice and yeah, be probably autistic and, you know, be like a Steve Jobs trope again. And he's also going to have like the dumbest fake teeth in makeup history. Yeah. Him and like Are this... him and Kate Blanchett is there's like a, a sale at the fake teeth store and he just bought it out i'm gonna have multiple characters with insanely crazy veneers or weird teeth
0: well this i think that stems from uh vice losing some awards to bohemian rhapsody <laughs> <laughs> and and mckay saying okay i know what's missing <laughs> wow. big loud teeth
1: <laughs> vice did win best makeup but it did lose That's best true. editing to bohemian rhapsody famously, and actor yeah so it's like, I'm going to have even more editing than ever. <laughs> My teeth will be piled up to the ceiling.
0: <laughs> yeah, because you don't want to win one and then lose the one you already had. So you had to, you had to up the teeth and the editing. Yeah, shore up, up your strength. strength. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we are not fans of this movie. Um, are there any... We have a few more specifics we want to get into. So uh, what else do you want to talk about with this uh, with this movie? Um, it'd probably be a, a good time to talk about Adam McKay, the uh the
1: auteur, the, the filmmaker.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: this this kind of it's I called it a uh, it's like a his pivot to serious messaging movies with After Anchorman two and the other guys I think Anchorman two then after that he went he adapted uh, the Big Short the Michael Lewis movie, and that started kind of three. Uh, darkly comedic big message movies the big short vice and then this movie and pivoted away from his his kind of former comedic relationships his uh, partnership with phil farrell and that kind of going Mm -hmm. out on his own every all of his movies now having kind of a political message that the the narrative is trying to to do and it's it's such a um it's such a self-conscious pivot There's a lot of articles about, you know, when The Big Short came out, how Adam McKay got radicalized when Vice came out, that kind of thing. How he left comedy behind. A lot of the articles were like, you've you've seen him direct Anchorman and, you know, Sex Panther cologne. Now he's tackling real stuff. (laughs) I think there's such a... uh, In awards or culture or things being serious, there's such a um nose turned up at comedy and good comedy that mm-hmm. it's like the comedic actor trying to go serious and, and win an oscar but as like his entire career trajectory
0: it's interesting it's and i will i'm gonna go ahead and cheat off someone else's paper here one of my favorite uh one of my favorite movie critics is david ehrlich of IndieWire. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it was his letterboxd review of this or if it was his letterboxd review of Vice. But he said Adam McKay was an important director until the day he decided to be. Mm. And I think that just, I think that nails down kind of my feelings on McKay as well. Uh, Because like I said earlier I loved those early movies. I really love his early movies and I actually really love The Big Short although I may need to revisit it after having seen his last two to see if I still love it. But I I just don't I feel like he has contempt for audiences. Um mm-hmm. and I Very got enjoyable. that a little bit I I got that especially with Vice when uh he really well, first of all, this is why I love The Big Short is because he he took an entertaining approach, an entertaining and informative approach to a topic that was complex, and you know, for a lot of people out there who didn't understand exactly how the downturn in two thousand eight happened, how the Great Recession came about, it was a it was a pretty good entertaining look at, at the the specifics of that. It showed it's kind of how that happened and those are complex issues and they're uh complicated and it the explanations for them i think were helpful uh and in in an entertaining in an entertainment format um dick cheney's life if you if you want to read about if you want to learn about dick cheney's life you that's not that complex you can just go look up dick cheney's life we don't we don't have to have um everything about dick cheney's life explained to us um if we want to know about climate change, that's a little more accessible too. I don't think he he tends to over-explain things and treat people like they're stupid. And I think it works okay in the big short because I think, I don't necessarily think people are stupid, but that is an, that is an issue and a story and a, a subject that was much easier for people. And I think a lot more forgivable for moviegoers to be kind of in the dark on but he continues to treat his audience like idiots on subsequent movies that don't require that and i don't yeah well said i don't know i don't know who they're for because if you is he who is he going to wake up with this movie about climate change it's a similar device it's i mean hey everybody dick cheney was was a was a bad guy and um, made decisions that were bad for the country at times. Okay, well, I mean, are you going to... who? Who is unaware of that? Who is that for? And climate change is something that we need to be concerned about. Great. Well, you have two sides of the issue. Everyone who already understands climate change is an issue doesn't need to be talked down to like they're kindergartners. And the other side of the of the coin, the people who really aren't interested in in seeing that is this really the movie that's going to swing them over um are they the types of people who like to be preached to in your opinion um i feel like he had the
1: almost the curse of getting it you know pretty right out of the gate and developing a formula that doesn't necessarily apply just just like you're saying um it i think it helps that the big short he had a phenomenal book as a reference you know that he was adapting vice and oh, yeah. don't look up our original creations but it's the same thing that if in the big short the reasons for the recessions are purposefully insanely torturous and complicated how you know exploiting loopholes that they could get away with you know people perpetrating a lot of that fraud and and uh mm-hmm. all that stuff um i think when that came out he had a he had a <clears throat> quote this says that I mean, the goal of doing it that way was to uh, demystify the world for some people and I think that was probably necessary it takes away the, the feeling of we're too dumb to understand it that has to happen before there can be action so that I think essentially becomes his, his, uh, his creed going forward and you're exactly right um, in Vice it's such immediate history um, I don't know that we're too dumb to understand that cheney abused power i even think that uh in catching up with that movie i think it purposefully puts forth um a large part of the movie to being about unitary executive uh power and like this theory of it that you don't actually Mm -hmm. need in the movie at all you don't need to have the the lawyer the lawyer's interpretation of of the constitution to have that movie i think that's Mm -hmm. kind of uh you're bringing something that worked in the big short to vice and similarly there's not anything that is really there's not really anything like like explaining um how how the big short how shorts you know work or how unitary privilege works or unitary power Mm -hmm. in the big short in uh don't look up but it does have that same thing of um trying to um trying to demystify something that's not that mystical mm-hmm. um, and it touched on the same thing for me it's the the preaching to the converted it's like where we as his audience are getting chastised for like uh there's there's someone who's uh speaking up in class and or throw a spitball at the back of the teacher's head and everyone's getting punished for the the one kid even the people who are doing their homework and stuff. That's a weird metaphor, but that's that's kind of how it feels.
0: Yeah, his movies can feel a little bit, for lack of a better term, masturbatory mm-hmm. uh, in that way of just, um, I, I don't know. They're not revealing really any in, in any way. Like, uh, The Big Short, did a, like I said, did a nice job of, of showing us how this these different aspects of the, the, the crisis... How they happened, but you know, and and I should also throw this in. We talked about this before we hit record that uh, David and I both watched Vice for the first time 24 hours ago. Yeah, that's fresh. without <laughs> without coordinating or telling each other that we were doing that. Now it's not a shock that had you know that we watched Adam McKay. We we caught up on Adam McKay's most recent movie before recording this, but still, that's an even fresher movie for me, <laughs> uh, and. Um, uh, I've kind of lost my train of thought where I was going with this, but
1: yeah, there, there's something in a, uh, in an interview they did for entertainment weekly about don't look up just to kind of bring that to the present. Um, you know, it's, it's very clearly about climate change and kind of is also mm-hmm. a, a lucky metaphor for what happened with COVID-19. Um, I think Meryl Streep is the one that says that, you know, people, in doing satire to change people's minds, like people don't like it if you pummel them like with the truth. It's much easier to change people's minds if you make them laugh. And I just don't. There is a, a fundamental misunderstanding of people. If that was the intent here, um, first, a movie that has Meryl Streep and Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> is going to be an automatic unfit. Like f- it's filtered out yes. of people who don't think climate change exists and don't believe that COVID exists. This is not going to be on their radar. And if it is, it's so far classified as a, you know, a threatening bogey that they're going to avoid it. Um, It's so far in the direction of making fun of, or probably a perceived making fun of people that they're trying to convert, that they're going to avoid it. And the people that are interested in it, maybe people that are interested in, in, you know, uh, a satire of climate change and what what could happen. We're we're beat about the head, like we don't we don't know anything about it. It's yeah. it's a frustrating watch, the last couple movies. So I think that starts mm-hmm. with his pivot to this kind of message movie, taking a great book and a complicated issue, and overcomplicating things that aren't um, don't need that, making puzzles out of things that are simple.
0: and and I just remembered what I was trying to say, which is the big short managed to manage to be illuminating in some way. I don't think the last two movies have been, I don't think vice, uh, you know, when I hit play on that movie, I don't think vice uh, managed to show me anything about Dick Cheney, the man that I couldn't have just guessed from headlines. Um, I also didn't get a feeling for what Adam McKay's take on Dick Cheney, the man was uh, after watching that movie. I, I don't think it really explored what drove him, what made him tick. And I don't think the movie, like I, I wondered, did the movie find him interesting or did the, or did, or did Adam McKay just want to make a movie about the Bush years and just needed kind of an angle on that? Um,
1: uh, yeah. It's, you know, he, he, he was the head writer of SNL during like the big George W. Bush welfare. I was George W. Bush early part of that like he wrote a lot of the political cold opens and uh you know the you're welcome america will Fairless, george w bush was on broadway i'm sure he has a maybe a, a i don't know about a vested interest but some kind of interest in in that but <clears throat>
0: mm-hmm. yeah
1: vice not to make this a vice vice cast i know we're
0: because <laughs> vice is still eligible for this podcast at a future date
1: <laughs> maybe this is a twofer maybe we knock that one out
0: yeah but, okay, so like, but don't look up also, like, I, I don't think this is a movie that really opens anybody's eyes to anything, um, even, even those of us willing to, to look at it. Like, I mean, I, 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 I don't know. And, and I think what you, you said about the, the it's going to be an immediate turn off for the people who need to hear the message most, I think it's spot on, especially when you have Meryl Streep playing such a not even veiled version of donald trump
1: yeah um completely completely coded as super obvious yeah and there's there's an element of the big short advice that i almost wish this took to maybe be a little bit more interesting it is fully commit to breaking the fourth wall a lot more in the Uh very beginning when we're introduced to dr oglethorpe there's the thing about he works for the interplanetary defense you know committee or initiative and you have that Adam McKay pause they freeze like this mm-hmm. is an actual thing this is their logo and you're kind of like okay you're just gonna be people talking to the camera and they we're gonna we're gonna pause and this is this is what it actually is and explain what climate change is kind of thing but it kind of abandons that early I don't know if that's mm-hmm. um it would be it would be giving a lot of credit to think that he did that as a you know, abate, and then did something else. But it's also, it feels very undercommitted as a piece of exaggerated satire that he's not not super going for it either.
0: You know, as well, cartoonish speaking, as it is,
1: I don't think he's super committed.
0: Yeah, speaking of satire, that was one of the things I wanted to talk about. And I I, I suppose there are, I mean, there's different styles of satire. I mean, I mentioned Dr. Strangelove earlier and that's, you know, very much cartoonish exaggeration Mm -hmm. it's absurd satire and uh that's a hilarious movie Mm. and i think this movie is going for that in part but i also think this movie is trying to be more subtle in areas too with its satire or more biting necessarily with its satire than it is funny and i just also if you're (laughs) my question to you david is, is is it possible to satirize the trump administration like is it is it possible to and and I think this is something that Saturday Night Live really struggled with over the last like five years, mm-hmm. which is how do you make absurd something which is already absurd? How do you how do you mine something for absurd comedy when it is already kind of blatantly absurd? And you know SNL has always been great at lampooning uh, presidents. I don't think they really did a they weren't particularly funny with Obama, but they. You know, George W. Bush, they, found, they exaggerated him. Uh, Bill Clinton, they exaggerated him. H.W., Ronald Reagan, there's always a funny exaggeration to be found. But with, with Trump, it, they, it was hard for them to find that, that exaggeration in a way that made it funny. And I think this movie kind of struggles with the same thing, which is it's, it's Meryl Streep's character doesn't feel like an exaggeration. It feels like something we had in office for four years. So why is that funny? I guess it, and, and I've actually never seen the, uh, the movie, uh, about the future. Idiocracy. Mm-hmm. I've never seen idiocracy, but that at the time, I, from what I understand about that movie, that is an exaggeration. That is an absurd comedic exaggeration of the way things would turn out to be. Mm-hmm. And, I think that would work much better, but I don't know. I think this movie really struggles with, I think it wants to be a satire and it wants to be a smart satire, but I, I don't think it is.
1: Yeah. Like, uh, um, it's a, it's a great analogy with how SNL has handled it. Cause, um, I, I kind of stopped watching a lot of the cold open. It's not because I disagreed politically with them for anything, but if anything, it was just a, absolute literal transcription of Exact events that happened, you know, played for laughs. But it was it was literally what happened, like him stalking a uh, you know Trump stalking the uh, debate stage in front of Hillary and getting in the camera shot and stuff like that. The the SNL sketch was literally just that happening again, and maybe mm-hmm. turned turning the volume up a little bit, but not to max. Um, yeah, this it's it's played a lot as is and almost underplays. S- in in satire what would actually happen a little bit it's uh you know i think of good i was trying to think what is what is good satire like and dr strange love comes up i think thank you for smoking is a a jason reitman movie i like that's that's kind of really taking um tobacco industry and, and corporate um corporate america there i think some of it um you know, you're exposing something in compelling action or compelling awareness of something, and mm-hmm. I don't know that this is doing anything to that effect. I don't know what what action this compels or what kind of uh, veil this pulls over anything.
0: Yeah, this is just this isn't compelling action. It's just raging at inaction. Yeah. We really haven't talked much about the morning news bit mm-hmm. of this uh, of this movie. Did you like that angle? Um
1: I think it would have been I think it would have been effective as maybe um
0: one scene. Maybe, yeah, they like, they kept going back to it. The
1: initial the initial like uh the initial spectacle of trying to explain a comet's gonna destroy the world and you know, like it mm-hmm. becomes a meme and you know, I have my own thoughts about like Films making fake memes are just so, you know, they make me cringe so, so badly, but it just, yeah. they were, we return to the world so much and our main character gets entangled with Kate Blanchett's, mm-hmm. um, morning personality so that we were, we're so tied to it and we're, we kind of get saturated with it that I think it loses all of its, you know, I keep talking it- about losing punch, but it's another thing where we're, we're losing our punch again with
0: it. I completely agree. I think the first scene when, uh, Dr. Mindy and Kate,
1: yeah.
0: Uh, appear on the show. I actually think that's a pretty effective scene and I think it's well done. Um, Oh, her character is Bree Evan T. Sorry. Oh yeah. Uh, and I actually think Tyler Perry really nails down that sort of, uh, um, always keep it, keep it smiling. Keep, keep it light. Uh, approach but um you're right they go back on the show like two or three more times and it's yeah there's a certain point and, and i think this was just generally i think actually either either i did or my wife actually said at one point out loud in this movie we get it <laughs> like stop driving the same point home but yeah and this movie also has way too much going on we have not even talked about uh ariana grande <laughs> in this movie <laughs> There's a yeah. whole subplot with her, not just her being a pop star who sings about the end of the world. It's there's a, a plot with her breaking up with a with another rapper, and it's pointless. I have no idea why that is a continued uh, storyline in this movie. Yeah, so.
1: kind of. We're we're more interested in what celebrities are doing than focusing on on climate change in this
0: movie that you have absolutely jam packed with celebrities. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah, and we've already known that Adam McKay is mad about the things that we pay attention to because he packed Vice full of, of shame of shaming people for liking Fast and the Furious movies, and uh, how we were more concerned with, uh, you know, going to concerts, watching American Idol, and that that kind of thing. And he's doing it again here. He's really just I think he just he just wants to shame everyone who wants to spend their time watching anchorman
1: yeah he's he's at a certain point like he stopped you know i don't know the phrase speaking truth to power and started punching down to people who he could potentially convert or people that who are his fans it's like it's okay to think you know have uh think about climate change and think about what we can do different and change your individual Mm -hmm. footprint or choose companies that are you know have a green profile and still like Fast and Furious are still, you know, Mm -hmm. you get up in the morning and you watch Regis and showing my age, Regis and Kelly, (laughs) Ryan and Kelly (laughs) or something. It's punching down at so many things that are, yeah. um, I don't know, not not worth his his kind of gunpowder a little bit.
0: Yeah. Okay, so you wanted to briefly touch on uh, virality.
1: (laughs) Ah. yeah, that is just super minor. It's just something that really bugs me. Uh, when a plot point in a movie is things going viral, because yeah. you know, that's how we're incorporating the effect of social media and memory in, uh, in, in film right now, the impact of that, social media. Um, it's really this movie and Free Guy that I watched pretty close to each other that really just put me over the edge. It's uh, it's the thing I talk you... about. It's like the YouTube react fake YouTube reaction videos and fake memes, and uh, fake comment sections and YouTube or Facebook like icons and and comment sections. Just, I just I'm just wondering how dated this is all gonna feel in ten years looking back <laughs> at this. Is this like people having entire sections of movies dedicated to fax machines? Like, is this just right. gonna be? completely anodyne later on
0: i don't know the answer to that i I think it's an interesting question but i could kind of go either way on it um but yeah it they did go to that well too many times also and this is kind of tangentially linked to that uh her ex-boyfriend in the movie that whole part with him uh Trying to leverage like I said, there's too many characters in this movie. Yeah, the guy uh, who
1: works for essentially uh, like a clickbait website, like yeah. BuzzFeed or something.
0: Yeah, and he publishes the article I, I hooked up with the the crazy lady or from the the comet lady. Here's here are all the details of that again I just that felt completely unnecessary to this movie. Yeah
1: it in at some way like his chaotic comedies like anchorman i love the asides that are completely completely random that they can do Mm -hmm. like him um ron burgundy like coming across a biker who punts baxter and comes back did you eat a wheel of cheese the absurdity and the randomness works there in a movie where you're trying to make like a political point and you're like a capital M message movie, it just comes across as unfocused. And if you're, and his, I only bring the task for this because all of his interviews are about, you know, exposing hypocrisy and corruption. He, he literally gives interviews about like, I'm trying to educate people and, you know, while talking down to people about it, that's the only reason I would kind of bring him to task about being, Kind of scattershot in this, but if you want your movie to be a capital M message movie, you gotta you gotta know what you're shooting at. You know, it's it can't just be a buckshot at everything. It's not effective. I feel that like way.
0: Adam McKay's message is, "I'm the smartest guy in the room. Shut up and listen to me," and then we all do, and he has nothing to say. Um, that that's my takeaway. Like he nothing nothing interesting to say. He has something to say. He he wants to just tell us that we're all wasting our time and we should be focusing on these big issues. But I think people are kind of aware of that. I don't think anybody I think people who are aware of celebrity breakups aren't completely unaware of climate change. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that's a Venn diagram that can't overlap a little bit.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just so confused because you have Dr. O- Dr. Oglethorpe, which I think is some of them are- in talking about it, one of the more confusing characters in the movie for being a grounded person, it's like he's mm-hmm. watching their their news conference with the morning the morning rip, the daily rip people, and you know they're going through Riley Bina and DJ Cello's breakup, and he's like, oh, good for him, you know that stuff. Like, yeah, you you yeah. can you can care about that or you can scroll through that while you're going to the bathroom and still be a doctor. Or still be someone who's like right. a lobbyist for environmental issues.
0: Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I, I don't want to dwell on this too much. Um, I, I, if you're fine moving on to the, uh, the to the Oscar section, uh, I think I'm I'm ready to.
1: Yeah, it's 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 just frustrating, and, yeah. and it just seems I just don't know what the point of it was. It's just so much. You tied up so many actors and so much money for this thing that I just feel is entirely pointless.
0: Yeah, yeah. That that is, that is my ultimate thought about this movie, uh, and it was my first thought when we were like a, a, a halfway through, which was, "Who is this for? Why does this movie exist? Like, why did? What, what is the point of this?" And I still don't really know. Other than Adam McKay's just just mad and it or maybe he just wants to show how mad he is Um,
1: yeah and it's okay to be mad like all of us are mad at it it's almost like he's mad that we're not mad it's just like again a fundamental (laughs) misunderstanding of people we're mad Mm -hmm. we're mad at how the world is right now and you're 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 mad you're throwing a temper tantrum and just just peeing in our cornflakes for no reason
0: (laughs) i don't know it's yeah let's move on (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, uh, don't look up is nominated for four Academy Awards this year, and normally uh, we can um, we can always talk about wh- what movie actually won. But as these awards are still a few weeks away, um, we don't know who wins these, so we'll just have to talk about who we think should win. And then D- uh, David, since you're the um, you're, you're the Oscar savant, you, you tend to uh, read the tea leaves on this kind of stuff. You can tell you can tell me who the favorites are because I honestly don't know any of the quote-unquote favorites for the academy awards this year so I will break we'll it start with the big daniel
1: one daniel tiger is not nominated for anything this year not even animated short which is travesty <laughs>
0: uh best picture <laughs> i was trying to think of a, of a daniel tiger song that would apply to to that news but nothing nothing came to me um it's nominated for best picture there are 10 is this the first year with 10 nominees
1: um first year in a while there was a, the first two years since 2009, 2010, there was a set 10. And then after that, oh, it okay. was, if you reach a certain vote threshold, you can get added. But there hasn't been is 10 since that then. There, there was like nine, eight, eight,
0: nine. <clears throat> um, is it still that same? You have to reach the threshold or did they just expand? To this 10?
1: is the first year that there's a set 10 and it will be that way okay. going forward. But there's, there is 10 set slots for all that. And I like that. I like having, yeah. you know, I always want more nominees and more categories, more recognition sure. for
0: movies. Okay, so our nominees are Don't Look Up, Belfast, Coda, Drive My Car, Dune, King Richard, Licorice Pizza, Nightmare Alley, The Power of the Dog, and West Side Story. So, um, how many of these movies have you seen, Dave? I've
1: seen, uh, I've seen six so far, maybe seven. I've nice. yet to see uh, West Side Story, Licorice Pizza, and uh, Drive My Car. But I've seen the rest of them.
0: Oh, so you're, you're at seven. Nice. Um, where would Don't Look Up rank among the seven you've seen?
1: Uh, seventh. <laughs> seventh,
0: yeah. Oh, that's, that's good. I'm glad there's not another movie <laughs> that's that's probably worse than this. Um so I'm guessing you you don't think it will, or you don't think it should win Best Picture. Uh, have, so I've seen Don't Look Up, Dune, Nightmare Alley, and The Power of the Dog. And Don't Look Up is, is a distant fourth for me. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. Uh, what are its odds of winning Best Picture? Good, bad, middling? Um,
1: there was some kind of, I don't know if it was jetting interest um, in the Oscar race, but there was some kind of, I'm not going to say clickbaity, but kind of clickbaity article saying don't look up could be the best picture winner. Um, but in, uh, in best picture is the only category that has a preferential ballot. It means that if you have you rank things one to ten and, you know, if you get a lot of ones, that's good. And you rule out things that don't meet a certain threshold, then it goes to your number two. Like if on your ballot you had CODA number one and it's out of the running, it goes to your number two. So that means that some movies that are divisive usually are never going to win in the modern Mm -hmm. landscape. Um, With four nominations only, which is kind of low, it had an upshot at like max at like seven or eight it could have gotten, Mm -hmm. landing at four. I think that the divisiveness we're seeing in Critical Community, it may be divisive in the industry as well that's voting for these. So I think it's got a pretty low chance on the lower end of these. Um, I won't say thankfully, but kind of will.
0: Oh, I, I was gonna say good, <laughs> good. Um, yeah, I'll say what uh, is probably the, what is the favorite
1: thing right now is is Power of the Dog. You know, it overperformed in its nominations, getting you know it got editing, it got a lot of got four acting nominations, director, screenplay, bunch of stuff, but even things like best sound, production design things for like a kind of mainly quiet you know, quasi-Western, doesn't usually get.
0: Yeah, I did not notice the sound of it when I watched it. I'm going to have to probably yeah. go back and look for that again. Um,
1: we still have some um, time, so the, usually the, the nomination later doesn't end up winning because the, there's backlash to it. But uh, I'd put my money on that right now with without like a big, a big runner-up to go to. Probably Belfast and Coda would probably be the next two after Power of the Dog. So I think... I think Power of the Dog at this point would probably take it this year
0: moving on uh, Don't Look Up is nominated for Best Original Screenplay alongside Belfast, King Richard Licorice Pizza and The Worst Person in the World so uh, what's, your, uh, what's your preference here I'll go ahead and start um, because Don't Look Up is the only movie I've seen and I will blindly choose any of the other four over it <laughs>
1: this is uh one of the only categories of, I've i have only seen three so i've seen don't look up belfast and king richard um i'm trying to see licorice pizza this week and i i'm really hoping worst person in the world comes to streaming or rental or buying because i really like the the director yokum trier um uh-huh. i i go i, I kind of go way back with him i bought one of his movies from blockbuster video that's how far back <laughs> Um, of the ones I've seen, um, I don't know, maybe King Richard as, as the best. I also didn't really care for Belfast very much. Um, don't really care for don't look up King Richard is at least, uh, it's exactly the movie you think it's going to be and is, uh, fairly effective. So I'll give it to that. But again, I'm probably saving my vote for PTA, you know, one of my favorite living directors.
0: Mhm. okay uh best film editing don't look up is nominated uh, alongside dune king richard the power of the dog and tick tick boom <laughs> so uh yeah i've seen don't look up i've seen dune i've seen the power of the dog and i've seen tick tick boom and um there's certainly a lot of editing in tick tick boom um and it wasn't as irritating as Don't Look Up, so I have Don't Look Up last in this category as well. Um I haven't given this category a ton of thought, but I I think I would probably I don't know. I actually might lean Dune here because I think that's there's a that's a complicated movie um to in, for people like me who were uninitiated to Dune, like they I, I knew nothing about that story when I watched it, and I think it does a pretty nice job of coherently telling a multi-tiered story um and i I appreciate that so i guess that's my that's my pick for now but i would still need to see king richard
1: i was also really impressed with with dune kind of across the board but in film editing like you got dream sequences mixed with like this huge backstory like spice industry you know different worlds, and you end the movie kind of in the middle of, of you know, no conflict has been resolved. Like it's the start of a story. It's kind of like a, a first Hobbit movie or something, but it works. It's it's tense, and the action's good, and it's compelling. Um, I also I never read the book or saw the uh, David Lynch movie, so mm-hmm. it, it, I was pretty fresh going into it.
0: I I will say though that I I I think the I think the stopping point on Dune isn't uh, and the, my problem is I don't know enough about the story to know where a a a perfectly graceful stopping point would mm-hmm. be but it does feel a little bit abrupt but then again I don't know if that's an issue with the editing of the movie as much as just the general choice of where to break the movies in half right. I do so.
1: think the the power of the dog editing is uh is is pretty good um they keep i think film editing you can you can ruin movies that have like mysteries if it's if the editing's poor mm-hmm. or they have tension and i think they do a good job of escalating the tension as you're slowly uncovering the mystery of what the movie even is
0: which mm-hmm. i
1: guess i won't i won't reveal here because it's not a dog cast right but i'd probably <laughs> I'd probably give it to that one um maybe okay. even king richard is my number two um I think it's really hard to do tennis in movies, and it makes the tennis in that movie very compelling. Um, kind of like uh, Ford v. Ferrari, like the editing for that. Like I don't really care about oh, yeah. cars or racing at all, and that was a pretty compelling movie, kind of a, a similar vein. But I th- I'd probably go power here.
0: Cool. Uh, best original score, don't look up, uh, for Nicholas Britell. Dune for Hans Zimmer uh Encanto, uh composed by Jermaine Franco, Parallel Mothers, the composer is Alberto Iglesias, and Johnny Greenwood is nominated for The Power of the Dog. Um you know, you you talked earlier. You really disliked the score in this movie. I didn't. I thought it was kind of the. Uh, I was kind of. I thought it, I liked the little snappiness of the, uh, <laughs> the zip zoobop of the uh, the score. <laughs> um, does that mean I think it's necessarily award worthy? No, but I I, I I liked it okay. Um, I don't really have a strong, uh, feeling in this one. Um, Johnny Greenwood scores. Uh, well first off I have a hard time paying attention to the score when I'm watching a movie mm-hmm. um, but I do think that Johnny Greenwood's scores tend to uh, seamlessly just become part of the movie to the extent where I'm not even aware that they're happening um, and I think there's that's an impressive feat um, and I have noticed his score when I rewatch movies that he's scored so I'm <laughs> I think I don't have a lot of conviction in my choice, but I would vote for Power of the Dog here.
1: Yeah, uh, I really, I really like what that score does in the movie too. It's uh, it's kind of what Johnny Greenwood really does very well, and like his score for There Will Be Blood, is it it like it's off-putting and kind of unnerving. How like some of the cellos and stuff and guitars are like detuned and they mm-hmm. don't sound right and things are kind of off it's like a he's he's playing a cello like you'd pick a scab, kind of, and it's like kinda of bothering you. Um there's there's some things what I think what I like to think is like which which of these can I kinda of remember? And I can remember um, some of the parts of Power of the Dog. I think uh I, I also think the Duden score is phenomenal. And reading about it makes me like it even more of Hans Hans Zimmer says like you can't just do Uh, you know speaking of just cellos and piano for a fantastical world that's never existed Mm -hmm. you know he he created instruments that had never existed and and played them and fabricated and synthesized them and played some instruments that are you know only known to some cultures and had never been in movie scores before and i can remember like i mean there's always a Hans zimmer like deep bass thrum to his scores yeah and it's it's certainly there but i also like the almost the electric guitar of some of like the the stuff with the uh i say stuff i'm very sophisticated
0: <laughs> we just took 10 months off of podcasting <laughs> or or whatever i think actually i think we we released something in july so mm-hmm. it, but it feels like ten months at least, so uh, I think I think you're doing well. I think it's okay to just say stuff and things like you're uh, Rick from Walking Dead.
1: <laughs> yeah, Hans Zimmer always has that wall of sound though, and like mm-hmm. you have the uh, the the chorus of women's voices and electric guitars and instruments that have never existed. So I think that's really good. Uh, I've seen In I really I think the the songs kind of yeah. make the score seem less impressive. Because right. the songs are just so front of conscious, especially, you know, they're like number one on Billboard right now. Um, I haven't seen Parallel Mothers. I'm trying to see it this week. I do like Alberto Iglesias. He did uh, Moldavar's, uh, I I really like the Volver soundtrack he did a while ago. And he's done like Constant Gardner and, and stuff. He's a really good composer. I heard that's a really good score. So I think I, I, I'm going to give it to Dune here. I think cool. Dune could win or Johnny Greenwood could win here. Hans has won before for Do you know what he's won before? Which which film he's actually won before? He's like probably the second most famous film composer of all time.
0: Uh is this uh No, I don't know. What is it?
1: It's The Lion King. This is the only Oscar uh, he's ever won.
0: <laughs> that's funny.
1: I was thinking like, oh, he he won for the Gladiator score. Like in the back of my mind, it's like, nope, that was Crouching Tiger here. Crouching Tiger score of which we've done a podcast. Yeah. Um won that oscar instead of gladiator
0: well david uh don't look up do you think it got cheated in any other categories do you think it should have been nominated uh elsewhere
1: uh it's hard for me to really think (laughs) of anything um i you know i like to i like to predict the nominations i had leo in after i'd seen the movie um just because he's like he's leo he's he's Uh a star almost everything he picks he ends up getting nominated for the last couple years i don't know who i'd kick out of best actor but uh i don't know he's he's pretty good jennifer lawrence is pretty good too um i'd probably be just making kind of a straw man argument though i don't really think they would i would really give it anything else but those those two would probably be the closest
0: what about Ariana grande's original song
1: That was shortlisted in the for like the fifteen potential best original songs, and I I did not like that song. (laughs) It it was. I didn't love it. I thought it was okay. It it was it was of a piece of the entire movie, you know, (laughs) completely on the nose, and kind of punching down at at stuff. It 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 felt like it was trying to go for that Hussevic style song that was like, actually integral to the movie or in the middle of a movie. Like The rest of the songs this year, are, besides Encanto, kind of end of the movie songs.
0: I was about to say, it, it It at least is in the movie and not playing over credits. So I like that aspect. At least they're working it into the, the movie. Um, no, I don't really think this got cheated in any other category. Um, okay, so is there anybody uh, wrapping up don't look up is there anybody in this cast that is uh interesting to talk about that we haven't talked about because I, I feel like we've hit just about what about timothy chalamet what do you think about him in this movie
1: um yeah he kind of appears like an hour and <laughs> 30 minutes into the movie
0: yeah
1: <laughs> kind of kind of as like a, a famous person cameo being like a nihilistic but evangelical punk i guess or street kid um
0: I, I thought, I actually think he's kind of good in it. I think he brings a little bit of, like, that character kind of has, a, like, a soulfulness to him that I, I appreciated in the movie. Yeah, he says, like, Dr. Mindy, can I be vulnerable in your car? <laughs> like,
1: asked, it, you know, will you be engaged to me, to uh, Kate Dviasky?" You know, he's he's having fun, and I think he does a pretty good job. Good old, yeah. Good old Timmy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, also ron perlman this is one of multiple best picture nominees featuring ron perlman <laughs>
1: yeah
0: he's also in uh the carnival movie um yeah, nightmare alley thank you <laughs> boy that one is slipping from my consciousness pretty quickly <laughs> um uh but yeah i don't know this i think we talked about everybody that i i mostly wanted to talk about um yeah pretty much uh, okay. So we get to Adam McKay, who we've we've spent a lot of time on. Um, where do you think? Uh, so this is his ninth feature film, although that includes Wake Up Ron Burgundy, The Lost Movie. Um, <laughs> where would this rank for you? First off, how many of his movies have you seen?
1: I think if you take out Ron Wake Up Ron Burgundy, I I haven't seen that movie. Um, I think I've seen I think I've seen all eight.
0: Yeah, I have too. I've seen the other eight. I have not seen Wake Up Ron Burgundy. Uh, Where would Don't Look Up rank for you out of the eight? Probably,
1: probably sixth. I probably have Anchorman Two and other guys near the bottom. Anchorman Two, I think it probably had one funny scene for me, and you know, I have a, I kind of have a problem with a lot of uh, after the fact comedy sequels where mm-hmm. it's just kind of re-referencing things that were originally funny yeah that's what a lot of that movie was for me
0: i uh, would yeah i just i didn't really anchorman 2 just didn't bother me the way that <laughs> don't look up bothers me um, <laughs> yeah. i found it to be not very funny but not in an offensive way um those two are vying for my bottom spot though yeah, um,
1: other I think other guys has a great first scene. Yeah, it's really and uh, besides that, I don't I don't, don't really love it. No,
0: it's 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 a movie that I don't dislike or like beyond that first scene. Uh, I guess I don't dislike or love. It I thought it was, I thought it was okay. Yeah, I thought it was enjoyable entertainment. No. Um, I think Step Brothers is very underrated. I think it's a really funny movie. I think Talladega Nights is, is a funny movie, and I think Anchorman is is. Hilarious, um, but yeah, uh, don't look up Vice and the other guy, or uh, and Anchorman Two are probably my bottom three for uh, for McKay. So what's your what's your top three? Uh, top three would be um, probably Anchorman, The Big Short, and Step Brothers, hmm. edging out Talladega Knights.
1: Yeah, uh, I probably go. And when The Big Short came out, I actually also just to be on brand, I didn't really care for it. I, I think, remember that, yeah, yeah. And I think in 2016, I gave it like two and a half stars. It's like just it was not my cup of tea. Uh-huh. So I'm, I'm OG with it here. Um, Step Brothers, I'd probably have number one. I think that's probably one of the best films of the 21st century. <laughs> <laughs> it is one of the funniest movies I think I've ever seen. I probably go Step Brothers, and then pretty close Anchorman. And then, for lack of other options, and it's still really funny. Talladega Nights.
0: I think Anchorman it passes a really tough test, which is um, lines from that movie got spoken to me mm-hmm. ad nauseum for years, and I still love the movie. And, and that is that is that's tough. That's a big obstacle because I don't think Napoleon Dynamite fared as well in in that test of yeah, true. Of of can I deal with people saying, God, Tina or whatever, um, for for years. Or I could throw a football over the mountains. Like those that got really annoying to me. And yet Anchorman quotes just they just they just always wash off me because I just just enjoy that movie so much. Yeah. High degree of difficulty
1: if you're in college or high school senior or fresh out of college during this time period, because you, you experienced this movie. I think I saw that in theaters three times. If you had roommates
0: night. at the time, they actively tried to ruin it for you.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> um, I mean, I had a, I had a roommate who would routinely say, I'm kind of a big deal, in, in Ron Burgundy voice, like every day. Mm-hmm. And maybe that joke itself is not as funny as it was when I first saw the movie, but I, to, to still love that movie after um, living with that movie for several years is, uh, I think speaks to its, its uh, excellence um, any, any guess now it, over the last few months I have actually shared the, data, the, the database, the rankings with David so you, you do have access to, to cheat on this if you want to but um, where would you guess that Adam McKay ranks all time I, I
1: didn't look it up beforehand and I don't think I've looked at it for, for a little bit now I didn't commit any of it to, to memory. I think like the number one or two, I think I still remember, but yeah. I got to keep it fresh here. So there's a lot of, uh, from what I know, this is not a huge over of movies, you know, it's not 20 movies or you know 97 like Hitchcock has, or <laughs> John Ford or something. Um, and it peaks at Big Short, which still is sub four. It doesn't have mm-hmm. four movies. Right. So I'm going to go with a swarthy 325.
0: Um, No, it's uh, Adam McKay is uh, ranked number 701 ah. <laughs> in my director <laughs> rankings. Um, I should always sp- just double it, double my guesses. Two <laughs> spots ahead of Deborah Granick who is... Uh, that's somebody I actually like. I like a couple of her movies. Um, and uh, one spot behind Matthew Vaughn, who did, what, an, an X-Men movie?
1: Yeah, and doesn't he do... Does he do the Kingsman movies, or...?
0: Oh, yes, he does. Yeah, you're right. Jeremy Saulnier is in this uh, this area as well. Um, trying to see if there are any others on the list. Oh, uh, Sean Penn is uh, in the 700s as well. So a lot of these are directors with one or two really well-liked movies that just haven't made that many others. Um, whereas uh, I think for McKay, he has a handful of above-average movies that um, that get him kind of to this point. But right. uh, anyway, some, not even a top 700 director that, that Adam McKay. Mm-hmm. And, and I actually should check and make sure Don't Look Up is... Part of this but then again i think it's a 3.2 on letterbox so it's not going to move the needle for him even if it is in here so uh yeah i think it's a i think that's i think the the letterbox that or at least the average of all the movies that i've put into my database is around 3.28 or or so um so yeah no it,
1: it's in here yeah um the good news is, I think next year or this year, we have his next movie to look forward to. Ooh, what's that going to be? He's going to be doing an Elizabeth Holmes movie, <laughs> a Theranos movie. Of course he is. Yeah, isn't that just so on brand? Of course he Not is. Not only is there, there's like currently a Hulu series that has like. Um, uh, Amanda Seyfried's going to be Elizabeth Holmes. Jennifer Lawrence is going to be Elizabeth Holmes. And we're going to. We're gonna go through that again. This person who you thought was probably not good is not good. (laughs) We'll be confirmed. We're gonna, yeah, he's gonna explain the the blood testing thing and probably pause and say, "This is actually what happened. This is an actual email." So we can look forward to that.
0: I shouldn't be bringing this up to this this late in the podcast, but uh, I did see one criticism of "Don't Look Up" that said, "Yeah, like all these actors wouldn't be the people on the spaceship." (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's fair <laughs> like yeah it is like he rounded up all the the Hollywood actors who would most likely be on the spaceship to the to the new planet uh,
1: maybe just in case this was real they were all gathering in one place they read in the script about it about the, the escape pod in
0: between takes they're like yeah but we're doing this right somebody's making this <laughs> I know it's probably not real but just in case like we'll, we'll be here <laughs> Uh, what do you think the legacy of this movie will be? Uh, d- despite what you and I want the legacy of this movie to be, what do you think it will be? Um, I don't.
1: I, I have a hard time thinking about that. Mm-hmm. The, I think it for some people, maybe young people that will come to it later, maybe like it's this weird cult movie that has all these famous people in it. That was about this uh, about this comment that happened, and hey, and that comment actually hit. <laughs> um, I, I don't, I, I just don't see it aging very well. Yeah, is is the problem? Some of like the uh, the you know adhering to the social media narratives, I hope, are going to be kind of. Um, uh, maybe a thing of the past or maybe something where, okay, this old guy didn't really understand how social media worked. Isn't that funny? Or it'll be, can you believe how wrong he was? Like it was even worse. I I don't see it aging super well. Mm -hmm. I I don't see people thinking about it beyond, you know, when the Oscar stuff's over and people and Netflix stops running interviews and, and things, it'll probably just be, um, a movie that's on there, uh, maybe forever, and maybe have a couple people see it every now and then. How about you?
0: <sighs> I, I don't, I think this is, yeah, it, it's probably similar to The Big Short, which is it's going to be, um, there are going to be, a, you know, some people who still talk about how funny and outrageous it is a few years later when, but I, I think for the most part, most of us will move on pretty easily from, from this one
1: yeah for for as like for as focused as it is on looking at the present maybe in the future kind of like idiocracy or say mm-hmm. how prophetic was that yeah the next thing that comes up maybe some people will say it's don't look up all over again but mainly just because that was just this movie's just so slavishly talking about how how today works yeah you know, because of, of of course, the next thing going to follow the same rubric as everything follows.
0: So, uh, I, I found one connection to the last movie we we did a podcast on, which was Tron. And in <laughs> Tron, Tron is about a greedy corporation that values its own success and its own bottom line more than it does human life. Much less, much like the uh, the cell phone company in Don't Look Up, which I've already forgotten. Was a Brett? bash 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 yeah um so uh that's my connection do you have any can you think of any other connections between these
1: i think the uh the bead um driller robots look like something out of tron (laughs) out of tron legacy or something um there uh i think there was a lot of money paid uh and invested in cgi that i don't think was very much worth it Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, my only that's all I got. my only other connection is uh, Tron had the same actress who played Lacey Underall in Caddyshack, and I watched Caddyshack as a palate cleanser after watching Don't Look Up, <laughs> so because that got it because that's a movie I love. So those were uh, unintentionally tied together. Um, okay, so uh, the next movie on our list to watch we are we are not going to return to the uh, what is this year's Oscars the ninety 90- Third, ninety fourth, ninety uh, fourth. The ninety fourth Oscars. We will not be dipping back into the ninety fourth Oscar. Well, um, this is a movie. Um, so I like to give you the letterboxed um, little blurb on this movie, uh, and, and here's the tagline: "They're singing and dancing in the streets." And here, <laughs> um, <laughs> the the main characters of this film are named Delphine and Solange. They're two, sis- okay. two sisters. They're both looking for love without being aware that their ideal partner is very close. That's the uh, that's the plot description. Is it? Uh, a, umbrellas of Cherbourg. It is. It is not. But it is by the same director. <laughs> uh, young girls of Rochefort. The young four. <laughs> yeah, I was I was hoping that you would just show me the way on the pronunciation, but the young girls of Rochefort is our next ah. movie. 1967 film uh, by uh, Jacques Demy. Mm-hmm. Um, a well-loved movie, if I'm not mistaken. It is streaming on the Criterion Channel, and it was nominated at the 41st Academy Awards, which were for the year 1968, which I, I guess is when it arrived in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it was not nominated for um, foreign language film, it was nominated for best score of a musical picture hmm. so it had one nomination so there there won't be a ton to talk about it on the oscar front but um i am looking forward to watching this movie and uh you know there there is a uh, there's a musical up for the oscars this year that maybe we could uh we could touch on a, a tad after we've seen west side story um Talked yeah, about the way you said they're, musicals have—they're dancing
1: in the streets. As like, okay, so it is West Side <laughs> Story, <laughs> but that's also like about half the musicals that exist or have that, right? So I've always wanted to see it, and I know a lot of people are very, very passionate about this and Umbrellas. Uh-huh. So, uh huh. So a good impetus to watch it.
0: Yeah, I've seen Umbrellas, but um, I've never—I uh, think that's all of his movies that I've seen. That's the only one. So. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's our assignment, and we will hopefully be back in less than nine months to uh, to discuss this movie. I'm sure we can beat our time. Uh, it should be fairly easy to do. So, and you know, we this wasn't super short, but we did do this in under an hour and a half, which is uh, improvement. Yeah, so good for us.
1: Yeah, it's less than two and a half hours. It it's less than the movie. It's
0: this time. I think that's always our my last goal. Tron
1: one was longer than Tron. <laughs>
0: That should be our goal, though. <laughs> Try to not to be as long as the movie. Um, this is uh, currently all the work that's happening over at uh, uh, TheMediaByUs.com, but that's the website where this uh, podcast will be posted. Um, there are no Facebook groups that you need to, uh, to worry about. You can, uh, David, What what do you know of the uh, other things we say during the sign-off?
1: What's the Twitter? Ooh, if they're not expired, I don't think they are. It's at TheMediaByUs.com. Uh, the media bias at gmail.com and uh, I don't know, just don't go on Facebook.
0: Yeah, no, no, Facebook <laughs> is bad. Um, but we do have a
1: new thing that you can uh,
0: see some of our stuff on. Oh right? yeah, yeah. Man, I can't believe I almost forgot that. Um, <laughs> we are on Letterbox. This show is on Letterbox. David and I are already on Letterbox. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, the media bias is on Letterbox. It's just uh, tmbu. Is how you find us, and uh, um, so far we've just put the movies we've seen here on. Here on the here are the nominees, and uh, um, so we'll be we'll be posting on Letterboxd. and um, follow us. We'll we'll follow you back. Yeah. So um, anyway, thanks for listening, and please subscribe and uh, tell any movie loving friends that you might have about us, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. And shout out to all the effectively cinephiled folks. Uh, which are like ninety percent of our listeners, I think. So, uh, <laughs> love you guys, and uh, until next time, see you, David. Bye.